Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, May 27th, 2018. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A lot of you have been asking uh, Jody and me about our friends and family from Hawaii uh, in light of the most recent eruptions that have been taking place. Let me begin first by saying that uh, our family is safe and our house is not in danger. Uh, But the eruption is happening on the big island, the southernmost island in Hawaii, the bottom of the map you see up there. Here's a view of what it looks like from the ocean with a a map of the Big Island superimposed on the top so you can see the area of the Big Island that is in effect. Uh, The volcano is called Kilauea. Uh, It's one of five volcanoes that are on the Big Island, though only two of the five have erupted in the last century. Uh, The main crater for Kilauea is Halima'uma'u Crater, which is up in the Hawaii Volcanoes National Park by the Visitor Center. I used to live right in that backyard. That was my view uh, my sophomore year of high school. Um, and this is what that crater has looked like this past week with all of the smoke and the ash uh, that has been uh, venting out. But this is not where the danger is on the Big Island. Uh, This is where the danger is, down on the southeastern rift of Kilauea. Uh, These pictures were taken by the U.S. Geological Service via helicopter, and most of the homes and the roads that have been threatened are quite a bit away from where most of the people live on the Big Island. And you heard me say before that the people that have bought houses in this area knew that there was a bit of a risk that, that came involved, but we just never expected it to be as bad as it is right now. This eruption uh, has brought lots of drama. There, You can kind of see that's using a, a large... Uh, throw lens, so it looks like he's a lot closer to the lava that he is, but that's part of what's happening, what's spewing out, and the eruption has really changed the way that the Big Island residents have dealt with previous eruptions. It's like a whole new ball game now. So thank you for your concern. Continue to be praying for the people, not only for those that have homes near that area, but the entire, uh, not just Big Island, all of Hawaii is so dependent upon tourism. That's really the lifeblood of the islands, and they've really taken a hit uh, in the last month or so. So continued prayers um, for that. Speaking of Kilauea, I wanted to talk to you uh, about my very first real job. I mean, I had a paper out when I was younger, but when I was in high school, I got a job working at Kilauea General Store in the town of, are you ready, Volcano Village. It was just three miles outside of the visitor center where our family lived, uh, up in in National Park housing, and uh, I got the job when I was a sophomore in high school. I kept it through the summer of when I graduated. Uh, Bob and Don Pelletier were the owners uh, back then when I was working for them. And my first duties were to stock the shelves, price new items. Had one of those guns, the clicky guns that, you know, you dial up with the prices and run it right over it. Uh, And then, of course, sweeping up around the place. That's the bottom level entry of any uh, store job, right? But then as time passed and my bosses saw me as being worthy of a bit more responsibility, I got to go out and pump gas. And then I got to work the cash register. And then I got to take uh, the the Pelletier's car and drive 30 miles down the hill to the city of Hilo and pick up supplies that the store would be selling. And then by the time I graduated, I was even closing and locking up the store, uh, putting the money in the safe all by myself. Early on, I learned that it was my job to do whatever it is that my bosses wanted me to do 
on the day that I came in. But not only doing what they asked me to do, I also had to stay in a good relationship with them if I wanted them to keep paying me and giving me more things to be doing, Um, which you'll be happy to know I'm really good with people. So I did a great job of keeping this job. Um, But really, by the time I left, not only did I feel like I was a, a huge contributor to the store, I felt like I was a part of their family, of Don and Bob Pelletier's family. Today, as I was preparing for the Bible reading, the, the story of the parable of the talents, it, it started reminding me about that first job at Kilauea General Store and how much I wanted to please them and wanted to do what was asked of me and, and more. I think we're, we're all like that, aren't we? Whatever the job may be, we want to do our very best. We want to uh, rise in responsibility and compensation. We want to be considered good and faithful when it comes to fulfilling the duties that we've been given. Welcome to the second week in a new series entitled Busted Parables of Judgment. And I know the word judgment carries with it a lot of negative baggage. Uh, The church has a notorious reputation for sometimes being known more for what they're against than whatever it is that we're for. That's not what this series is about. Uh, And that's not how judgment is used by Jesus in his parables either. Robert Capon, in his book, Parables of Judgment, note that uh, Jesus told parables of judgment as the divine history-altering actions of God. Jesus told these specific parables near the very end of his life. So when we hear these parables read, we have to remember it's uh, connecting with his death, uh, resurrection, his crucifixion. So it's not about making us feel guilty, but about moving us, rather, towards understanding what God ultimately wants for us as his people, and for all of creation. And last week we learned that uh, parables defy simple explanations. So if you think you already know what the parable means, set that aside and allow there to be possibilities for God to stretch your understanding and give you some new insights. And also parables, we found out, uh, bring to the surface unpleasant truths that challenge us. And it's never fun to be challenged, but that's how we grow. Today's parable is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. I would love for you to follow along with me. So if you have your Bibles or you want to reach into the pew back in front of you and grab the red pew Bible, or if you have your smartphone and you want to take out and open your Bible app, if you don't have a Bible app, uh, if you go to your, uh, whether it's um, iTunes or wherever you get the, the app store, uh, version, Y-O-U version, is the name of a Bible app that's free, and it's got like hundreds of different translations. And so you can... Follow along with that. Uh, no shame if you don't know where Matthew is. Use the table of contents in the front. Uh, the book of Matthew is in the New Testament. It's about three quarters of the way through the Bible. Um, and we're going to begin on chapter 25 at verse 14. So Matthew 25, verse 14. And we'll follow along even more than what Darla read for us this morning. By the way, I want to go and pick up that $1 that's under the, uh, the plant over there after the service. Matthew 25, verse 14. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. Scholars say this was not an uncommon practice in the ancient Near East, that a person of wealth would sometimes travel to distant places for extended periods of time. And remember that travel took a lot longer back then than it does now. Uh, So in order to keep things running back at home, the wealthy person would uh, leave a considerable amount of authority in the hands of his or her servants so that they could keep things running while they're gone. They would manage the affairs and make sure that all the business that needed to happen would happen. So that's what's happening at the start of this parable by Jesus. Verse 15. 
To one servant, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. Each according to his ability. Now, when we hear the word talent today, what do we think of? We think of like things we're good at, right? Passions and interests, specific uh, abilities. That's not how the word talent was used back in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, a talent was a a, a unit uh, of measurement uh, that measured weight. And a talent was approximately 75 pounds. But they used it to talk about money. So it was 75 pounds of money. And the basic a unit of interest in Jesus' day was a denarii. A denarii was one day's wage for an average worker. It was not minimum wage. It was actually a living wage. So if you went to work, like we were talking about in last week's parable, if you uh, worked in the fields harvesting grapes or whatever it may be, you got paid one, one denarii at the end of the day. A talent is 6,000 denarii. So if you want to do the math, that's approximately 20 years of salary. 20 years of salary. Uh, This is a huge monetary fund. In fact, let's do this. Take out your smartphones. Pull up your uh, calculator app. Think about what your average, what what is your salary right now? If you're retired, think back to what your last salary was. If you don't have a full-time job, kids, minimum wage is about $11 now. Uh, So type in $23,000. That would be if you work 40 hours a week for 52 weeks a year. $23,000. Multiply whatever your uh, annual wage is by 20. Do it right now. And look at that figure. That is a large... Even if you're making minimum wage, we're talking almost half a million dollars. That's one talent. Ben Witherington, in his Smith and Helby's commentary on Matthew, retitles this story, not the parable of the talents, but the parable of the workers and their investment capital. I love that, right? Because it gives such a different tone than the parable of the talents, right? Investment capital. Jesus says there are three servants of this owner's uh, that are given investment capital, each receive a different amount. Why? Well, because they're each different. They each have different levels of ability, each have different skills, training, expertise, experience. So the master gave each one uh, whatever it was he thought that they could handle, each one of them according to their ability. And remember, the guy that only gets the one talent, how much is that? 20 years salary. Remember on that number that you saw on your phone, that is a lot of money, all right? Uh, Verse 16. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more talents, but the one who received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, no instructions were given by the master. He simply gave the large sums of money to each servant, and each of them could decide whatever it was that they were going to do. With this, it was solely up to their drive, their initiative, their ingenuity that would determine how successful they were during however long it was that the master would be gone. And just like most workers today, they knew that they would gain more honor and responsibility from their employer if when he came back, they had done well. Yes, it involved risk, but when you're given investment capital, you, wouldn't you expect there to be a little bit of risk that comes with it? That's just part of the game. Well, it's obvious that the trust he placed in the first servant uh, was well-placed. That he, the first servant, turned the five talents, which would have been a hundred years of salary, into ten talents, two hundred years of salary to give back to the master. 
And the one who had two talents turned it into four talents, which ain't too shabby either. And what's the old saying? You got to have money to make money, right? And they were able to do that. Each of these guys had a ton of money. The money doubled by the time the master had returned. And then we get to this guy, the third guy. The guy who got his hands dirty, but not in the same way that the first two guys got their hands dirty with the money. Like, he literally got his hands dirty because he buried the money in the ground. Now, before we get too judgmental on this parable of judgment, uh, listen to this. Multiple commentators that I read this week said that burying the money was not an uncommon practice in Jesus' day. Especially if you lived in a town where there no banks were near. Or maybe the closest uh, thing that worked as a bank was a temple that might uh, have been off in, in, in a little bit farther out of, uh, out of reach. So, in fact, Michael Williams, in his Storyteller's Companion to the Bible, remarks that according to tradition, a person who buried money that was entrusted to them was no longer liable for what happened. So it's almost as if uh, the master had never given him the money because once he buried it, it was now not his responsibility. So it was an extremely safe way to protect your money if protecting your money was what you were setting out to do. Verse 19. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received five talents came forward, bringing the five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master." We hear that phrase spoken in churches a lot, and that's what we all long to hear when we get before the throne of Jesus, right? Well done, good and faithful, good and trustworthy servant. Enter into the joy of the master. But did you see what the master thought about the ten talents, those 200 years of annual salary? He called them what? A few things. Another translation says, in little things. Which is kind of shocking, right? Because we tend to think of money and financial stability as one of, not necessarily the most, but one of the most important things in life that we strive after as humans. Interesting, however, that the master in this story just considers it, eh, it's a few things. It's little things. Verse 22. And the one to whom two talents was given came forward saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, both of the first two servants double their master's investment capital, right? Both were praised. Did you notice uh, the amount of praise that was given to each one? Was the guy with five talents that turned it into ten? Did he get two and a half times more praise than the guy who had two talents turned it into four? No. Almost the exact same words were spoken. And their reward was also the same, right? Enter into the joy of your master. The first one doesn't get double amount of joy because he had double amount of return. So what does that tell you? I don't know. To me, it says that maybe it's not the amount that the master was concerned about at all. Just the fact that they both did something with it was enough. Which doesn't bode too well for servant number three. Verse 24. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you can have what was yours. So, 
First of all, what do you think of this guy's speech? I mean, I don't know about, to me it sounds like he was kind of insulting his master, wasn't he? I mean, it's like uh, the other guys were saying, oh, master, thank you for entrusting me with this money. Look what we have made it. But this guy starts complaining how, you know, uh, boss, you're kind of a jerk, and I didn't really want to get yelled at when you came back, so this is what I did, right? Uh, He begins by lifting the master's character flaws. Now, they say uh, when you see someone do something tricky on TV, don't try this at home. Don't do this at work. Don't go to your boss and begin, start a conversation by telling him all the things that are bad about them, right? But in some levels, our hearts break for for servant number three, don't they? I mean, he had been given this large sum of money. He didn't want to mess it up. He didn't want to lose any of it. So he figured his best option is to bury it. Because he wanted to protect it. But remember the alternative title to the story, right? Not the parable of the talents. The parable of the workers and their investment capital. And what is the purpose of investment capital? To use it. Not to bury it. To invest it in something. And then you think about what it was that the servant said after he insulted his master. His excuse is kind of lame, isn't it? I mean, if he knew his master was harsh and demanding and merciless, he probably should have been even more diligent about what he did with the money that had been given to him. But he was so worried about himself, he forgot what his role was. He forgot what his responsibilities were. He wasn't focusing on serving the master anymore. He was just covering his own You know what it is that people cover, right, when they're worried about themselves only. Verse 26. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And on my return, I would have at least received what was my own with interest. And this is where the rubber meets the road, right? Servant number three is so worried, so afraid about losing his master's money that he instead plays it safe. He keeps it safe. The problem was his master didn't ask him to keep it safe. He asked him to do something with it. It was investment capital. And so the servant is harshly criticized because he didn't do what he was asked to do, which was something, anything. Just use it in some way. Because I really think it's not about the results. That servant number one didn't get doubly rewarded because he produced twice as much than, than servant number two. The master doesn't seem to be concerned about the bottom line of the financial figures here, friends. He seems to be more concerned about the faith that his servants had in using what they had been given. In using what the master had entrusted to them. So when the master calls servant number three both wicked and lazy, it's not because he squandered the money. No, theologian Ben Witherington remarks that what he squandered here was the opportunity that the master had given him. He missed a big opportunity. And remember how much a talent is worth, right? I mean, a large sum of money. He let his fear get in the way of doing what he was hired to do. Now, we all get afraid at times, especially when things happen at work where we have a tremendous amount of responsibility that maybe we hadn't had before. But we can't let fear keep us from doing what we're called to do. I love how Robert Capon reimagines the conversation that the owner had with this third servant. He says this, you know, I didn't ask you to make money. I asked you to do business, to exercise a little trust that I meant you well. And I wouldn't mind if you took some risks with my gift of a lifetime. But what did you do? You decided to be more afraid of me than the risks. You decided, you played it safe because of some imaginary fear. When, When I give you a gift, I expect you to do business with it, to keep it moving, not to keep the gift 
to yourself. In the end, it all comes down to that phrase, right? Use it or lose it. Verse 28. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all of those who have, more will be given and they will have abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now that is a use it or lose it Bible verse if I've ever heard one, right? It isn't a statement by a master who's being too harsh or unkind. It's a statement of how life works. The servants didn't have the same amount of money, but they were judged by what they did or didn't do with whatever it was that they had. In the medical field, we know that muscles atrophy over time if they're not used, right? That a a muscle will waste away if it has a, a lack of physical use, whether it's from an illness or an injury. If you don't use it, your muscle disappears. The same is true with our gifts from God. We must use what we have been given. Seinfeld was uh, super popular in the mid-90s. Any Seinfeld fans? A few? Okay. Uh, Some of you may remember this character, and even if you didn't watch Seinfeld, you probably know this character, too. This guy makes the best soup in the city, Jerry. The best. You know what they call him? Soup Nazis. All right. I'm not letting you cut in line. Why not? Because if he catches us, we'll never be able to get soup again. Okay, okay. (laughs) Medium turkey chili. (laughs) Medium crab bisque. I didn't get any bread. Just forget it. Let it go. Um, excuse me. Uh, I think you forgot my bread. Bread? Two dollars extra. Two dollars? But everyone in front of me got free bread. You want bread? Yes, please. Three dollars! <laughs> what? No soup for you! So, no soup for you is basically what the master said to servant number three, right? And it wasn't because he complained about not getting bread, because he wasted the opportunity to do something with what was entrusted to him. So, I'm going to go back to my buddy Robert Capon and share with you how he wraps up the parable. Again, this is his imagination of what the master said to servant number three. So, I'm going to give this first servant your gift to show everybody that I never really cared about the results. Anyway, don't you see? It's all a game. All that matters is that you play the game, not that you play well or badly. You could have earned a million dollars with the money I gave you, or you could have earned two cents. You could have even blown it on the horses for all I care. At least that way, you would have been a gambler after my own heart. But when you crawl in here and insult me, me, Mr. Risk himself, by telling me you decided I couldn't be trusted enough for you to gamble on a two-bit loss, that I was some kind of legalistic type who went only by the books, well, you have another thing coming. So how do we apply this to our lives? Well, for starters, remember that parables uh, defy simple interpretations, and each one of us may be thinking about something different from this story. That God may be working on our hearts already, and so run with that. Whatever it is that God brought to light as you're hearing this, uh, that might be your message for today. If I had to venture for myself what the fabulous parable might be saying, I think it has something to do with the lives that have been given to each of us. 
We're not all the same, right? Some of us may have uh, maybe five talent people and some two talent people. And some of us are one talent people. But remember, even those of us who are one talent, that's a lot, right? One talent was 20 years of salary. None of us are worthless. Our lives are incredibly valuable, my friends. And God has given us, each of us, whatever it is to be who we are that God has called us to be. And so we shouldn't be afraid to use what God has given us. The owner entrusted those incredible sums to his three servants because he trusted them. And he entrusted them with the resources. It was only the third servant that let his fear get the best of him. And he didn't believe in himself nearly as much as his master had believed in him when he gave him the money to begin with. All of us have gifts and abilities to be used for the kingdom of God. And I promise you, friends, God is not the soup Nazi. But God has entrusted us with our lives. The question is, will we trust God as much as God trusts us? My brothers and sisters in Christ, what an incredible gift we've been given, each one of us. And the only thing that God asks for us, each one of us, is to do something with it to use our lives that we've been given. It may not always turn out the way that we expected or planned, but remember, according to the parable, God isn't concerned about the results as much as God is about using what we've been given. And a talent is a huge gift. Each of us have been given this gift by God according to our abilities. May none of us be like servant number three. Don't let fear get in the way of doing what we've been called to do to be agents of kindness and grace, of healing, of reconciliation, of peace and joy, not just for ourselves, but for the kingdom of God. In other words, we are inspired by Jesus to love. Let's live that out. Don't squander the opportunity. And all God's people said, amen. Let us rise as we sing our song.